The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm Frank Morano. Thanks for starting your week with me. Happy Monday. Hopefully you had a nice weekend. I certainly did. I'll share with you some fun stories from throughout the weekend. Let me ask you a question first, though. When does a law become a law? Well, in New York... That is not such an easy question to answer because whatever the law happens to be, it seems to be that the answer to that is after the courts spend years kicking it around and determining whether they approve of its constitutionality or not. Case in point, foie gras. Three years ago, the New York City Council voted to ban foie gras. If you're not familiar with foie gras, it's a type of French pâté that is made from the fattened livers of ducks or geese who are force-fed. Now, animal rights activists have pushed for this ban for years. They call the use of tubes to force-feed these birds inhumane. They're exactly right, as far as I'm concerned. Feeding these ducks and geese to the point that they can't even function anymore, even using these tubes to keep feeding them long after they're hungry, to me, that is not uh, preparing a meal that for consumption. To me, that's torture. That's torture of an animal. And I was all for this ban on foie gras. I understand it's going to hurt some people, may hurt some restaurants, may hurt some farms that specialize in this kind of thing. But they've had three years to figure something out here. And last week, a Manhattan judge delivered for the restaurants, and he halted the upcoming ban on foie gras. And I think this is just crazy. At what point do our democratically elected legislators actually get to legislate. If you don't agree with the foie gras ban, what you should do is work to elect more people to the city council or to the state legislature that will vote to go the other way on it. But to run to court on some bizarre legal theory, which I can barely understand, and try to use the courts as a a sort of super legislature to correct all the mistakes that you perceive the legislature to make doesn't sit well with me doesn't sit well when it's done on a federal level, and it certainly doesn't sit well when some special interests that are going to be hurt by this do it on a local level. The bottom line is, I think foie gras is barbaric. I recognize a lot of people like to eat it, and they think it's tasty. Fine. But even if I didn't think this was horribly inhumane and torture for the ducks and geeses that get force-fed so that you can have a meal, this is what the city council voted on. The solution to that is democratic. Elect new people. Don't run to court. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everybody. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. You may remember a month or so ago we told you about the controversy involving the petitions that Lee Zeldin submitted to create a third-party line for himself, a line that they were calling the Independence Party. And part of the controversy was that there were thousands of signatures that were photocopied, not original signatures, but that were Xeroxed signatures that were in the petition volume. Well, now the Albany County District attorney's office and the 
State Board of Elections are moving forward with an investigation focusing on these duplicate signatures. Now, the Zeldin campaign, and I believe them, I have no reason to dispute their characterization of what happened. They said they were not directly involved in submitting these petitions or putting them together. They say that this was an effort that was handled by the state Republican Party under the direction of John Haggerty, a longtime GOP operative from Queens who serves basically as the de facto executive director of the state party. And sometimes there are legitimate mistakes that happen with these. And I'm not sure if this was fraud or if this was an innocent mistake. And not every mistake rises to the level of criminality. Heaven knows uh, New York's arcane election law is so bizarre that there are so many different ways that you can interpret so many of the statutes. Now, in fairness, I don't think many of them include submitting Xeroxed signatures and hoping to count them. That being said, John Haggerty is a convicted felon. And I know John Haggerty, and I've known him over the years, and I like John. Uh, We've worked on several campaigns together, but he went to prison for stealing over a million dollars from Mike Bloomberg when he was running Mike Bloomberg's Bloomberg's campaign in 2009. Some of you might remember the tabloids in New York referred to him as the Bloomburglar. Now, I don't hold that against him as a scarlet letter. I mean, uh, I've seen him after that. I've had him on the radio after that. I've had uh, dinner and drinks with him. I like the fella. Smart guy. But I have to wonder, should the state Republican Party, under the leadership of the chairman, Nick Langworthy, really be putting someone that went to prison for an election-related crime in charge of so many different aspects of their political operations. Now, this is one thing. Putting together these Independence Party petitions is one thing. But from what I understand, he's involved in the day-to-day running of the state party as the basically acting executive director. If you're the state GOP and the state GOP chair, why would you choose a convicted felon who went to prison for election-related crimes as your executive director. To me, this makes no sense. As far as I'm concerned, I don't know what's going to become of this and what the ramifications are going to be for the state GOP or for Zeldin, but this is an unforced error that didn't need to happen. Very poor judgment on the part of Nick Langworthy. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Whenever I think Eric Adams does the wrong thing, I say so. And whenever he does the right thing, I say so. Well, what he's doing now, I absolutely love. Now, let me take you back in time to the de Blasio administration. All eight years of the de Blasio administration, if things were going well economically, they would dramatically increase spending for everything. If things were going not so well economically, they would dramatically increase spending for everything. Now, Mayor Eric Adams is ordering some belt tightening at all of the city agencies in anticipation of some huge budget problems. Here was the mayor talking about this a few days ago. Keep in mind, we have a potential $10 billion budget deficit. You know, it's easy to sit in the council and just say, let's just spend, spend, spend. No, I must make smart financial decisions so our city can weather these turbulent times right now. I have to give the mayor credit here for recognizing the fiscal reality of what is 
coming before us in New York. I mean, you see how the stock market is fluctuating. You see what a problem inflation is. You see what a problem energy prices have been. Food prices are going through the roof. Goldman Sachs is slashing hundreds of jobs. The rest of Wall Street is probably going to do the same. And a deep recession is a very real possibility. Also, federal pandemic funds, which the city has been using like regular money, they've been using it as if it's regular money that they can count on every year, they're running out. Additionally, Governor Kathy Hochul, in a commentary I spoke about on Friday, just forced future school spending to dramatically increase with this class size law. Mayor Adams got $8.3 billion in rainy day reserves into the current budget, but that's not going to be enough as both the state and the city controllers are warning of budget gaps of $12 billion over the next four years. So I'm glad to see the mayor is recognizing some fiscal reality and doing some belt tightening. I think this is right on the money in terms of requiring every city agency to make a 3% spending cut. There's plenty of fat to cut. The last mayor's final budget was over $25 billion higher than his first one as the city workforce grew by more than 325000 That's the biggest ever. No mayor has ever grown the city workforce by a larger number. So I'm glad to see the mayor is at least starting to reverse that trend. Beam me up. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. One more hour to go. Don't touch that dial. Still here on 77 WABC, and there's no place that I'd rather be, and I mean that. Uh, And the most recent ratings, our show is still number one in its time slot. So is Dominic Carter's show from midnight to one, and the station as a whole is just doing great. We are, I believe, the number one AM station in all of New York and in the top ten of every radio station, period. Now, as Tom Likas said when he was on this show, a couple of weeks ago. It's been 20 years since 77 WABC was a top 10 station. So what we've seen in terms of the ratings improvement in this station is really a New York miracle. It's not just a New York miracle. This is the model for what AM stations should be doing around the country. The lesson here is very clear. If you put quality programming on and you don't drown people in own infomercials, people will listen. And that's why I was very frustrated at this thread that's on the New York Radio Message Board. If you don't follow the New York Radio Message Board, you can check it out. I think it's nyrmb.com. And someone took issue with some remarks that Sid Rosenberg made on the morning show about how great the ratings are. And I'm listening to one disgruntled radio person uh, after another disgruntled radio person with maybe a few wannabe radio people mixed in, essentially bash our ratings, saying how Sid is lying, how Sid is exaggerating. And then I write to the dentist that runs this message board, and he's a nice enough guy, I've met him once or twice, and I send him the ratings, which are publicly available, and I show him, look, how can you say this? Take a look. Not only are the ratings up, but we're the number one AM station in the country. And then he basically comes back to me and saying, well, yeah, the demos aren't good. Uh, It's a bunch of old people listening. And I said, well, then you should say that. Instead of trying to make it out like people aren't really listening to us, go and say that the demos are high, that the demos are older. And he did. To his credit, he did. And he did update the thread. Let me just say this. I am so sick of these advertising agency elitists thinking the only listeners that matter are 25 to 54-year-old men. That is 
bupkis, that is baloney, that is malarkey, that is bullshale. And I am proud to be number one. And the fact that it's older listeners, that it's driving our ratings to be number one, I couldn't be more thrilled. You know why? Because whenever I encounter older people, they seem to have a lot more common sense and a lot more conventional smarts than a lot of the younger people I encounter. I'd rather be number one with older folks than any other demo that there is. I am proud of the fact that you listen to this show. Thank you. I hope we continue to be number one. And if our demos are older, so be it. I'm proud to be number one in these demos. And for all these critics on the New York Radio message board, they can all go suck an egg. Beam me up! America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity. And the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.